everyone, and welcome to our podcast, She Said and Said. This is your wonderfully wacky pharmacist, Sarah McIntosh. Um, we started this podcast to come up with something a little lighter amid all the coronavirus madness, just to bring some happiness into your day. So whether you listen to this on your way to work or when you are making dinner or maybe drinking your coffee in the morning, we hope it makes you smile and alleviates whatever stress you may have going on in your life, at least for a few minutes. Our plan is just to interview our pharmacy staff and share some fun stories and have a little fun along the way. podcast everyone we took a little bit of a hiatus over the summer months here and we're going to be resurrecting the podcast again so i hope you are all as excited as i am today we're doing something a little bit different for this podcast we have a special resident edition where laurel and diana are going to be discussing covid19 updates hey everyone so this is laurel i'm a pharmacist here at woodwinds and we have a special guest today we have diana our pharmacy resident And instead of doing a formal topic discussion after her general medicine rotation, she's going to be talking about COVID updates today with us. Hey, Diana. Hey, Laurel. (laughs) Okay, so my first question for you is how did you become interested in this topic? Yeah, so basically one of the reasons why I became interested in doing this topic was because of the increasing number of patients we're starting to see at Woodwinds. And one of the other reasons is because information about kind of like drug therapy and the virus is changing so fast. So it always seems like there's a new drug on the block that could potentially help solve the crisis we're in right now. What do we know so far about COVID-19 and how it affects us? So COVID-19 is basically this new novel coronavirus that was identified as the cause of a bunch of pneumonia cases in Wuhan, China at the end of 2019, and that quickly spread resulting in the pandemic we're in now. So the coronavirus is an enveloped positive stranded RNA virus, and um, kind of the transmission of how... Um, its spread isn't really um, known completely. So what we do know is that it's basically through direct person-to-person respiratory transmission through these respiratory droplets. And there's some data or some information showing that environmental contamination is another way of transmission. So it can be found on surfaces that a person touches and then transfers to themselves by touching their mouth, their eyes, or their nose. Um, But how long it, it lasts on these surfaces is still up for debate. Some studies have shown like up to six to nine days without disinfection. Um, Another thing to note is that transmission after 7 to 10 days of illness is pretty unlikely, and a lot of the symptoms that we do see with these patients are going to be like your typical flu-like symptoms like your cough, fever, myalgia, um, shortness of breath, sore throat, nausea, diarrhea, 
and those sorts of things. What labs are usually drawn to see how severe the illness is? So some of the labs that are more associated with a severe diagnosis would be um, that we typically would draw would be your D-dimer, your C-reactive proteins, your troponins, and lactate dehydrogenase. Um, some places are even testing for hepatitis B and hepatitis C antibodies because these chronic viral hepatitis infections can, could affect the interpretation of your transaminase levels and may exacerbate any hepatotoxic um, therapies that a patient might be on. And another thing, if the patient um, may have HIV antigens or antibodies, um, the underlying HIV infection could change the assessment of the patient's risk factor for any sort of like deterioration and would probably warrant um, initiation of some antiretroviral therapy. Interesting. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you know about current treatments and how they work? And I know these are changing all the time, but what do we know so far? Yeah, so for general management of COVID, um, so we're going to treat empirically as if it were like a bacterial pneumonia. So for patients with documented COVID-19, normally we don't routinely administer these um, antibiotics, but since clinical features of COVID are similar to the bacterial pneumonia symptoms, um, we're just going to treat it like community-acquired pneumonia when we're not sure. Um, for patients with um, bacteria pneumonia, and it's reasonable to assume it's that, with documented COVID um, being likely, um, then we would, again, treat for it there. The second thing we do for general management is uh, prevent and evaluate for any venous thromboembolism. So we typically are going to treat it with um, Lovenox or heparin, depending on um, some labs. So a lot of these tests have shown that there are high rates of thromboembolism complications. So that's kind of why we prophylax with the patient. And then the last thing we do is avoid nebulizing the drugs. Um, we always try to use a meter dose inhaler whenever possible instead of nebulizer. So we're not aerosolizing the COVID um, virus. So going on with like how we treat it, we have to first define how severe the condition is. So patients who are considered mild, um, these are what you're going to typically see outpatients. So they might present with fever, malaise, cough, or any sort of upper respiratory symptoms in the absence of shortness of breath. Whereas um, non-severe disease, these are going to be your hospitalized patients that are only needing or requiring supportive care with clinical um, monitoring for any sort of worsening. And these are the patients that we're trying to target for um, clinical trials. And we also have these severe um, cases where we pr prioritize COVID-specific treatments for these hospitalization, hospitalized patients who have the severe um, condition. And this also just depends on their oxygen or ventilatory requirements. So if a patient has severe disease, so they're hypoxic, but they don't require any oxygen, um, 
requirements, we suggest remdesivir. Um, if remdesivir is limited, we try to prioritize it for people who only require low flow oxygen needs. And then for steroids, we don't really suggest um, dexamethasone in these patient populations from the studies. Um, for patients who have the severe disease with um, needs for supplemental oxygen, so these could be patients who have high flow oxygen or non-invasive ventilation, um, it's recommended that low-dose dexamethasone um, be used to improve mortality, as well as patients on low-flow oxygen um, would likely benefit as well. And then lastly, we have patients who might have severe disease who are on a mechanical vent or on ECMO, and these patients would most likely benefit from low-dose dexamethasone as well. Um, Clinical benefit from remdesivir is kind of uncertain in this population, and it's only really suggested for patients who have been intubated for a short amount of time, which would be like 24 to 48 hours. One thing I did find interesting, though, is um, remdesivir and dexamethasone haven't really been evaluated in combination together, um, but based on their pharmacokinetics, there really shouldn't be any sort of drug interaction, but we do see it all the time in the hospital. Yes, we do. Um, and then just going with like specific treatments for COVID-19. So we did talk about dexamethasone. So basically that's just going to help reduce the inflammation and decrease the production of any inflammatory mediators, which would help modulate the body's response to the infection. So patients, again, who are severely ill and on supplemental oxygen or ventilators would benefit from dexamethasone, which is typically dosed at like 6 milligrams daily for 10 days or until they're discharged. Um, if we don't have any dexamethasone, you could try using any other glucocorticoid at an equivalent dose, but just keep in mind that the data with using other alternative glucocorticoids um, aren't really there. And then the last thing I just have to say about steroids is that dexamethasone shouldn't be used for either prevention or treatment of, of mild to moderate COVID patients who aren't on oxygen. The second biggest um, drug being used right now is remdesivir. So remdesivir is a novel nucle nucleotide analog that competes with for the incorporation into RNA chains by the sars cov 2 RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, that was a mouthful, <laughs> um, resulting in delayed chain termination during the viral RNA replication. So if you can wrap your mind around that, you are way smarter than me. Um, so how remdesivir is dosed is you get a 200 milligram dose on the first day, and then the next four days you'll get a 100 milligram dose. And this can be extended up to 10 days if there isn't really any clinical improvement and in patients who might be on a mechanical vent or on ECMO. And then we usually will just discontinue this if the patient's ready for discharge, even if they're, they haven't completed their course. And it's, re it's not recommended for use in patients who have like LFTs greater than five times the upper limit of normal or in renal impairment um, with patients with an 
EGFR less than 30 mils per minute unless the benefits outweigh the risk. Um, and that's just because of the way it's made. Um, so it's put in this cyclodextrin vehicle that can accumulate in renal impairment. And the last thing is that we shouldn't be using it in combination with hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine due to um, a lot of these drug-drug interactions. Um, the next therapy that's being used or looked at is convalescent plasma or CCP. Um, Basically, so it's plasma from people who have recovered from COVID-19. Um, it provides this like passive antibody-based immunity and would have potential to reduce the duration or the severity of the disease. So po it's possible that these that the convalescent plasma provides some sort of clinical benefit when it has these high neutralizing antibody titers, or when it's given early enough in the course of the disease, but. Clear data on its efficacy is still kind of lacking from these trials, but again, it's still pretty early on. Um, some other treatments I'll mention um, are these monoclonal antibodies. So these MABs have developed are developed to like neutralize COVID by targeting their spike proteins and preventing viral cell entry. Um, there's a trial going on right now with mild to moderate infections that look at a combination of these two human MABs, one that's derived from convalescent patients and one with recombinant antibodies. And these are shown to lower viral RNA levels and kind of reduce that rate of hospitalization or emergency department visits. The next treatment option is these interleukin-6 pathway inhibitors. So Elevated inflammatory markers like D-dimers or these pro-inflammatory cytokines like interleukin-6 are associated with more critical and fatal COVID infections. So this could make it a possible hypothesis for preventing or slowing down the disease progression. So a lot of the drugs being looked at right now are tocilizumab, sorilumab, and siltuximab. Um, Currently, the results from these trials don't really indicate any sort of mortality benefit, but there are, they're still ongoing, as with all of, all of these trials. And then our favorite, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. So um, the suggested mechanism of action is just that they inhibit the virus in vitro. Um, currently, it's really not recommended in hospitalization or hospitalized patients given the lack of benefit and potential for toxicity. And back in June of this year, the FDA revoked its emergency use authorization because of um, because they know that the potential benefits don't outweigh didn't outweigh the potential risks. And some like other agents that are being used that I won't really talk about or touch upon um, are the Viprovir, um, so sulfosbuvir with delclatsevir, famotidine, colchicine, and zinc. So a lot of, so pretty much the key takeaway from this whole section is that the optimal approach to treatment is uncertain. A lot of the data suggests that mortality, that there are mortality benefits with dexamethasone and clinical benefits with remdesivir, but no other therapies have really proven to be effective. 
Um, and a lot of these investigational drugs should only be given in the context of a clinical trial because of um, the uncertain uncertainty or potential for toxicity. So what's in the pipeline for new studies? Yeah, so, okay, currently there's 2,388 trials being done for just COVID-19, with the U.S. having 438 trials, um, so we're leading in that aspect. Um, the trials in the U.S. are looking at a bunch of different treatment options, with the most trials involving hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, and in second with plasma-based therapy. A lot of the other trials are monoclonal antibodies, stem cell therapy, interferons, zinc, colchicine, SGLT2s, and SSRIs are also being looked at, and it's pretty much just a mishmash of a lot of different things being tried right now and in combination with each other. So one drug that you might be a little bit more curious about is the one that Trump was given while he was um, hospitalized for COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. So it's basically this investigational antibody um, cocktail um, called Regencov2 made by Regeneron. And how it works is that the antibodies target the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. And this spike protein is basically the key player and plays a major role in the receptor recognition and cell membrane fusion process. So it's composed of these two subunits called S1 and S2, which are so cleverly named. Um, the S1 subunit it has a receptor binding domain that recognizes and binds to the host receptor angiotensin converting enzyme 2. While the S2 subunit mediates these viral cell membrane fusions by forming this um, helical bundle. So these spikes are pretty much coated with this polysaccharide molecule, which allows them to basically camouflage themselves so that they can hide from the host immune system during entry. So what Regeneron is looking at, so their primary objectives are to basically evaluate the safety and tolerability, the virologic e efficacy in reducing viral shedding, and to evaluate improvement of clinical status of these patients on this antibody cocktail. So their primary outcomes would be um, serious treatment emergent adverse events, infusion-related reactions, hypersensitivity, and the average change from baseline and viral shedding through these nasal swab samples and the proportion of patients with at least like a one point improvement on a seven point ordinal scale. And how they kind of set up their study was that these patients in the clinical trial were randomized in a one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one fashion um, where they would get either a one-time infusion of eight grams of this cocktail which is considered their high dose, their low dose would be 2.4 grams, or they would be given a placebo. So all of these patients in the trial had a lab-confirmed COVID-positive test and were prospectively characterized prior to treatment by the serology tests that they had to take um, just to see if they were already making their own antibodies. They were classified as zero-negative if they didn't have any measurable antiviral antibodies or zero-positive with um, having measurable antiviral antibodies made. 
So kind of some like preliminary results that they posted. Um, so the first one was the serological status highly correlates with their baseline viral load. So patients who were seropositive had a much lower level of virus at baseline and achieved rapid viral loads approaching the lowest levels quantifiable even without treatment. Whereas patients who were seronegative had these substantially higher viral levels at baseline and, were, and cleared the virus slower in the absence of treatment. A second finding that they um, could, could come up with was the serological status at baseline kind of also predicted how rapidly these patients had alleviations of their clinical symptoms. So in untreated patients, um, like the placebo patients, these seropositive patients had a medium time to alleviation of symptoms of about like seven days, whereas these seronegative patients took about 13 days. The third thing that they concluded so far was that they found that the Regencov2 cocktail was able to rapidly reduce these viral loads through day seven in seronegative patients. So these findings were statistically significant with just the high dose. And then the last thing that they concluded was that one of the greatest treatment benefits was seen in these patients who didn't have any of their own um, antibodies made um, so that they could use the cocktail to provide like a therapeutic substitute for these naturally occurring immune system response. Diana, do you have any idea um, for Trump, did he, you know, if he got like the high dose or low dose? I don't know. I'm assuming he would probably get the high dose, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'd be uh, interested to see what he actually got. Um, maybe he did, because if he apparently was able to walk out the next day, yeah, well. <laughs> um, so another trial that's also being looked at is this trial called the ACT-3 trial. And so a little bit about it, it's in this adaptive, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial with over 100 sites globally. So the study is going to basically compare different investigational therapeutic agents to a control arm. So the cool thing is, is that they'll allow new arms into the study as long as it meets scientific and public health needs. So if like one therapy proves to be efficacious, this treatment may become like the control arm for comparison with new experimental treatments, allowing for that adaptive platform. So ACT-3 um, is part of that trial, so it specifically looks at the safety and efficacy of the combination of interferon beta-1a and remdesivir compared to remdesivir alone. So how this interferon beta-1a works is that it generally alters the expression and response to surface antigens and enhances your immune cells activity. Um, how this was set up for study-wise, so they had these subjects assessed daily while they were hospitalized, and the and then once they were discharged from the hospital, they um, had a study visit on days 15, 22, and 29 for lab visits or through phone calls. And then throughout their hospitalized stay, these patients had their blood and orpharyngeal swabs collected on days 1, 3, 5, 8, and 11. And so what they were kind of trying to look at as their primary outcome was time to recovery by day 29. 
with secondary outcomes looking at treatment-related improvement on an eight-point ordinal scale by day 15. So, and the last trial I'll be talking about is this trial using tocilizumab that's currently in phase three. So how tocilizumab works is that it's an antagonist for the interleukin-6 receptor. These IL-6, um, normally IL-6 will induce your inflammatory stimuli and kind of mediate an immune response, but tocilizumab will reduce those cytokines and lessen the severity of COVID. So how they're conducting this study is basically um, it's a randomized double-blind multi-center study that is looking at the effects of tocilizumab versus placebo on patient outcomes with in patients who have a positive COVID-19 test result and how it affects your systemic inflammation. So the aim of this study is to test um, if tocilizumab could reduce your multi-organ dysfunction. So they're measuring it as mechanical ventilation, renal replacement therapy, mechanical support, need for inotropes or vasopressors, liver dysfunction, and all-cause mortality among patients who are hospitalized. So to conclude, what are your key takeaways that you've learned so far about COVID? <sighs> so, yeah, there's there's a lot of things, and this is all going to be stuff you guys have heard so far. So wear a mask, wash your hands, cover your cough and sneezes, don't touch your face, clean and disinfect all of your objects and surfaces that you're touching frequently or do get touched frequently. Make sure you're being active about social distancing. Um, news is always changing about how the court about the course of the disease. And lastly, just have some hope that we'll figure out how to help treat or lessen the damage of COVID. Hopefully a vaccine will come out soon. Yeah, me too. Uh, thanks, Diana, for joining us today. Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks. See you soon. Remember to pass on the podcast to fellow pharmacy staff. And if you have fun suggestions or want to be a guest on one of the podcasts, let Laurel or myself know. See you next time.